Welcome to MedTech Connect, a new digital health regulations podcast from Sightline. I'm your host, Hannah Daniel, and I'm a U.S. regulatory reporter for MedTech Insight. Every month, we'll interview a regulatory expert in the digital health industry who will help us break down policies and guidances coming out of the FDA, as well as other hot-button issues such as cybersecurity concerns, the rise of AI and ML, or the fight to protect medical data. New episodes publish monthly, so be sure to follow Pharma Intelligence on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and tune in to get notified when new MedTech Connect episodes come out. In this episode, we're talking to Scott Trevino, Senior Vice President of Cybersecurity at TriMedX. At the end of last year, in December, the government passed an omnibus bill to essentially keep the government funded. As a part of this huge appropriations bill, the FDA got a bunch of money, and it really expanded their oversight on cybersecurity. So we talked to Scott about what that meant for the industry and what that meant for devices that are on the market now and devices that need to be approved. We talk about how the FDA's oversight is changing, software bill of materials, and some challenges that manufacturers might face when complying with these new regulations. Finally, Scott gives us some predictions about the cybersecurity guidelines that are expected to come out of the Biden administration any day now. Scott, welcome to MedTech Connect. Thank you for joining us today. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Do you mind telling us a little bit about what you do and your position? Sure. Um, Well, I have uh, over 25 years of experience in healthcare. Um, I cut my teeth on the medical device side, uh, across the board, building product services, uh, managing operations and quality. and today I work for TriMedics, which is uh, the largest independent service organization in the U.S. And I'm responsible for, uh, I'm their senior vice president for cybersecurity. Uh, so I'm responsible for helping build out our cyber solutions uh, for our customers that are uh, specifically focused on securing medical devices, medical networks for our clients as part of their comprehensive clinical asset management program. Uh, And I also serve uh, a few other roles in helping with uh, advocacy uh, and and work on issues such as legislation related to medical devices that are servicing, um, ISO, you know, regulatory compliance, those sorts of items, given my background and some of my expertise. So that's uh, a bit about myself. So you know probably better than most people that cybersecurity and healthcare has been on the forefront of everyone's minds, especially, I think, during the pandemic when we were seeing such a shift um, from healthcare in person to telemedicine. So recently, the FDA was granted a little bit more oversight for medical devices, including the cybersecurity of medical devices, as a part of the omnibus bill that was passed at the end of December of 2022. So can you kind of walk us through what that oversight looks like and what that new type of regulation looks like? Sure, absolutely. So um, as you may know, the uh, House and Senate Appropriations Committee agreed to the omnibus bill. It's, I think, in total about $1.7 trillion. It's a 4,155-page uh, bill, so a little light reading uh, there. Uh, and that funds the government through this year, through 2023. Uh, and at a real high level, um, you can kind of break it down into about $850 billion is for defense spending. The rest is for non-defense. And a big portion of that um, has been, or well, a, a large number of dollars has been allocated to cybersecurity in general. And uh, as part of that, um, there are new, what I would say is empowerment for the FDA to uh, take what was formerly guidance 
and maybe legislation proposals that never really made it to law around cybersecurity and make those requirements and really give power to the FDA to enforce and act. And so what does that look like? Well, the cyber reforms uh, for FDA are really uh, a number of items here. One uh, requires uh, OEMs or device manufacturers on their pre-market submissions to include a number of things now, uh, namely a software bill of materials. Uh, so, you know, a breakdown of what's included in that device in terms of off the shelf software, open source, critical components of those devices, uh, as well as plans to address cybersecurity vulnerabilities and the life cycle really of the devices that they're uh, submitting for approval. Uh, for those things that meet the definition of a cyber device. The bill also defines, you know, of course, defines what cyber device means. And it's really, you know, it's anything that includes validated software that's installed and authorized by the, the design owner uh, on that device. Uh, the device has the ability to connect to the internet, it's networked, uh, and it has characteristics such that it could be vulnerable or susceptible to cyber threats. So that's that's another thing here. There's a definition about cybersecurity in there, as well as the requirements I just mentioned. Uh, and to go in a little bit more detail about what those requirements are or mean, um, it provides FDA the authority uh, to, to not only uh, enforce around that definition of what are cyber devices, but also exempt devices from these requirements. Um, the plan submitted to get in a little more detail, I said, you know, for the cybersecurity on a device that's submitted for approval uh, would have to address specifically how they're going to monitor, identify, address uh, cyber issues and vulnerabilities and exploits in the post-market, meaning after the device has been sold and it's being serviced and actively used for the life of that device. And that includes, you know, the ability to... Uh, have coordinated vulnerability disclosures and related procedures such that those vulnerabilities when they occur can be uh, remediated or mitigated. Uh, and that's also another component here, which is there's a, you know, a compelling, uh, the, the law will, and the FDA will compel manufacturers to ensure that uh, not only can they detect security issues, but respond with uh, solutions, whether that be patches or updates. I mentioned the SBOM is a key component of that um, as well. So those are kind of some of the very specific things relative to what it means for the device. There are a couple other things I'll hit on real briefly here that um, compels the agency or others to, to act. So uh, within 180 days of the bill, uh, the FDA has to uh, provide additional resources and information on how to improve cybersecurity for medical devices. Uh, this includes things like how you'd identify those vulnerabilities. And this is for sort of those that participate in the industry, really targeting the providers, the systems, and the manufacturers. But I would argue that that also extends to those with service devices, independent service organizations, and others that are sort of in that whole um, segment of the industry. Uh, another requirement here is that the Government Accountability Office is required to issue a report uh, that identifies challenges faced by providers, systems, patients, manufacturers uh, in addressing um, cybersecurity issues, and that should come from the Comptroller General. Um, and this includes legacy devices that may not, you know, have you know considered the support of security updates in the past. So it's not just go forward devices. Um, 
There's also one other requirement uh, that I'll hit on here is within two years, uh, the FDA uh, is compelled to work with CISA to update the existing cyber pre-market guidance that's been out for a while and has uh, recently gone through public commenting and, and updates. So sorry to be a little bit long-winded, but that's kind of what is said, uh, I think around you know page 3,500 and something to uh, you know, 35 and 100 and maybe 30, uh, 20, 30 pages there. So that's that's the FDA requirements in the omnibus bill. I really appreciate that, uh, a detailed breakdown. Um, and I wanted to kind of zoom in on something you said about these regulations are not just going to be required of new devices, but they're going to be required of devices that are already on the market. So that's a really interesting um, component of this, which um Immediately, what's being compelled is for new submissions, new devices, uh, the pre-market submissions. So whenever uh, a manufacturer, creator, designer of a device wants approval to list on the market commercially, um, these, these requirements are there. Now, you, a component of the legislation it, under rule of construction highlights, and, and you know, I've been looking at this pretty closely. It remains to be seen. I'm not a lawyer, and it'll be interesting to see how FDA uh, utilizes its new uh, recognized authority to enforce rather than just give guidance. But um, what's stated under the rules of you know, construction really is that nothing in the sections of the details I just talked about are in a specific section, and it basically says nothing in this section should be construed to affect the secretary's authority related to ensuring that there's reasonable assurance of safety and effectiveness of devices and reasonable assurance of cybersecurity of certain cyber devices, including devices approved or cleared prior to the date of enactment of this act. So what that, at least as, as a lay person and not a legal person, I look at that, it says, there is the opportunity uh, for these requirements to uh, be applied, not just on go forward devices. Um, and that will be up to, um, we'll have to wait and see how FDA acts on this. Um, and that would be speculation on my part. I think what's clear here that what's laid out that I went through previously, you know, the, the cyber guidance should be updated, but with the things I mentioned, it really takes from that guidance and other previous proposed legislation and makes it requirement. So um, that guidance might actually become policy if I were to you know, project forward, uh, that would seem like a reasonable outcome here. And then when you think about legacy devices, um, I think it would behoove FDA to consider that. And uh, I've spent time uh, providing feedback on that, both the FDA as well, as well as other agencies and on the Hill, which is uh, Energy and Commerce Committee asked a few years back about, you know, su supported lifetimes for devices. And that's exactly, you know, a big question, because if you only focus on newly approved devices, uh, it will take a very, very long time uh, to turn over, let's say, the installed base. And we're talking years, if not potentially decades. Uh, to apply new rules only to new newly approved devices. Um, so that that's that's how I see it right now. Yeah, you're going to have a lot of older devices on the market that are not complying with these regulations. And it's going to take a while for everyone to be standardized if you're only regulating the devices that are coming to market after the passage of this. Um, 
of this policy. Um, so one of the pieces that you also spoke about um, as part of the omnibus bill um, were, was this requirement to have SBOMs or Software Bill of Materials. Um, and so, you know, I think a lot of our readership, listenership um, is kind of familiar with cybersecurity, but the term SBOM might be new. So do you mind explaining um, what an SBOM is and why there's such an emphasis on having SBOMs provided for every single medical device? Absolutely. You know, I'll start with the, the simple piece here. The acronym stands for Software Bill of Materials. And it's really, um, you know, if you take the S off of it, a lot of folks may be uh, familiar with what a bill of materials is really. And, and this is specific to software. So as our devices in, in the med industry, medical device industry um, become more complex, they also become more complex as a result of becoming more software enabled and more dependent and enabled by software. And so the complexity of that is, is significant. And there's there's components of software uh, and software types. There's off the shelf software that might be incorporated into a device that uh, is literally that. You're taking existing software, a known quantity, utilizing it as part of the composition of your full system uh, and identifying that specifically is important uh, as well as, you know, utilizing open source code that might be there to supplement or enable your device, as well as other critical components. Uh, there might be soup or software of unknown provenance that's been incorporated in their specific uh, guidance and standards on how to incorporate all this into your, your software design. Why the SBOM is so important is just like uh, on a bill of materials, you want to know what that system is that you're getting, what the critical components are, so that you can understand the device. And in the, the arena of cybersecurity, that's extremely important because as you're monitoring for risks and threats that become discovered in the wild, um, you once you identify a threat or a risk, it's based on a device type or a software type. And so if you have a, a medical device system system X, and you just know it at a growth, you know, an, a, an overarching system level, you may not realize that you have some off the shelf software that uh, is affected and has a known vulnerability because it's really sort of today not listed individually on a line item as part of a, the bill of materials. So when I, when I'm monitoring for those threats, I'm doing that against what I'm, you know, what I actively own or I'm responsible for. And I may see, oh, I have a CT scanner of X type. And I may not realize that that CT scanner has, you know, it's using a, a library, an open source library that has a vulnerability that can be exploited. So if I have that bill of materials, now I can much more quickly, easily, and effectively determine based on the known threats, what, what, what devices in my inventory are vulnerable. And that can go down to even a nuance level, which is, you know, well, which revision and version of the software on that bill of materials do you have? And that's a, that's a, you know, to add on just a little bit, that's one of the challenges today as we address cyber vulnerabilities in medical devices is there's that one high level, which is uh, grossly, what are the big components of the software? And also then it gets into the nuance of well, which revision, what patches have been applied to some, you know, potentially to some of those components of the device. So that's an, an extremely important piece of um, the legislation, and it's extremely important to help enable effective um, 
you know, uh, effectiveness of improving your security posture overall. Yeah, these seem like very important, necessary information for devices or any type of technology that uses software. So um, kind of a follow up to that. Why is this only being introduced as a requirement now and not previously? It's another uh, really good question. Um, I think, you know, we could go through the list. There's a lot of different proposed cyber legislation that, uh, especially in the last year, that uh, has been put out there. And um, what I would say is, I think, you know, all of them, you know, that I think of at a high level are all good. You know, there's a recognition. It's a reflection of the recognition of the significant issues uh, that we see the increasing, you know, threats in the healthcare domain. Uh, as you may know, the as critical infrastructure goes, healthcare is the most exploited, it's the most costly year over year. Attacks and exploits and are going up. Um, it's also probably one of the areas in most need and needs uh, maturity. So I think, you know, why hasn't previous legislation passed? I think. Um, you know, it, it hasn't garnered maybe broad support. Uh, it's an issue that gets nuanced, uh, and there's significant, um, let's say, interested parties that have positions on these. So when you get into sort of that that individual niche, it's a little bit harder when you pass it as part of a 4,100-page omnibus bill that includes 800, you know, 2.9 billion overall for cybersecurity improvements. Uh, from the CISA funding, it's much easier to pass it as part of a broader cyber uh, legislation where the FDA component uh, is significant and very important for healthcare, but it's really part of a broader approach uh, from uh, the perspective of the country, from a federal government perspective, and it aligns with all the other policies that uh, are, are, and investments that come through that funding. So I think that's really why is it became part of that bigger effort? And uh, when you nuance it down, there's a lot of interested parties. And then I think folks tend to get cold feet on whether or not to bring it to a vote and how they vote, as you might imagine. It always comes back to interested parties and politics. But yeah, so for my last question, um, which is a little bit of speculation, so feel free to answer it as you will. But a lot of people have been anticipating some cybersecurity guidelines to come out of the White House um, for a while now. So do you have any insight as to what the Biden administration might be saying about cybersecurity for either public health care or medical devices? Absolutely. Um, first of all, I, I do like to speculate, but I'll say these are my opinions and I have no inside knowledge or any direct connection with the White House, but I'll share what uh, I've gathered through intelligence sources that, that I have or, you know, things I've read and, and discovered. Um, and I'll start with the, the Biden White House has done some things already, right? They, in 2021, I think it was May, um, there was a executive order on improving the nation's cybersecurity overall. So there were some things in that about, you know, creating standards at a federal government level for multi, you know, multi-factor authentication, uh, zero trust architectures. Uh, I think there was an approach financially to look at leveraging the purchasing power of the government to improve cybersecurity for the products they buy, you know, as part of RSPs having those sort of requirements uh, and some budgeting guidance uh, along those lines. So, 
you know, and I think there were some other things like creating awareness around the shortage for cyber workforce. So there's been some some work done there. Um, what what I what there's been a, a recent uh, speculation about uh, President Biden and his team working on uh, a policy document on national cybersecurity strategy. Uh, and so I suspect uh, it seems like that's a fairly credible thing. It, it, it aligns with uh, some things that have been done historically. It's a, from, from what I've you know gathered here, it's a short document, about 35 pages. Um, and there have been similar things over the past 25 years or so, uh, you know, around, uh, you know, what, what we do from a cyber standpoint. So it's, it's similar to that. What, what I, you know, read is that it imposes mandatory regulations, um, you know, in a wide swath of industries. So this policy, you know, we've seen uh, President Biden's White House get involved in cybersecurity, recognize the problem, you know, over the past year or two. Um, I suspect a new um, strategy document is going to come out. And, and what I suspect is it's going to impose those regulations across many industries. And what I'm uh, seeing here is that it's going to authorize not just, um, you know, recommendations on how to defensively secure and react to, but it's also going to uh, provide um, extensions upon how to be offensive in nature when it comes to cybersecurity. And that would be a big change uh, from where we are today. So that would allow for, you know, U.S. defense and intelligence agencies to hack into computer networks, either proactively or as a result of attacks to preempt attacks on American networks, uh, in particular across critical infrastructure. Um, and so, you know, there's been a lot of rumblings about this being worked on for the past year or so. Um, and really, it, it, it stems from, you know, the, at a very high level, the biggest challenges really are, and we talk about this in med device, is guidance, you know, is not really, there's no teeth behind it. It's recommendations that aren't really enforceable with the power, you know, the law behind you or enabled legislation. So again, kind of tying it back to the omnibus bill, that's a huge step empowering FDA to go beyond guidance. The other piece is purely defensive measures in cyber uh, are limited in their impact, especially at a nation state level and across, if you think about across the, you know, all the agencies in the government. So I think, I think that's pretty likely to come out. I think we're going to see uh, more and more activity around cyber. And I think that'll be a big piece. Um, and just to kind of put it in a historical context, context, because as I thought through this after kind of, seen this on the horizon. This goes back really as far as 1997 and the Clinton administration talking about cybersecurity. Uh, in 2012, the Obama administration, you know, put in place, uh, you know, a policy directive uh, that established sort of controls around being offensive. But, you know, the president was required to help uh, to give explicit permission to do so. In 2018, uh, there was further loosening of those controls, sort of giving autonomy to our intelligence and defense agencies to act. Um, and I think this will take that one step further, which I think, you know, um, is a good thing uh, overall to help with the posture of the nation and its critical infrastructure and our agencies. Um, and maybe one other thing, this isn't specific to the White House, but maybe an indication of things to come is that in New York, um, 
There was recently the issuance of uh, some mandatory cybersecurity regulations, which is tied to uh, some federal funding um, in general. So it's, you know, I talked about uh, some of the requirements being, you know, why did it pass? It passed an omnibus bill because it's broad. And when you have cyber requirements and you can sort of paint them across infrastructure in a similar way, uh, that's effective and easier to pass. I think that's kind of the same thing at the New York state level uh, where they're uh, looking to standardize and create mandatory cyber requirements and regulations at a state level. So I suspect we may see more of that as well, uh, in addition to what I think might be coming out of the White House. I hope that helps answer your question and I didn't go and drone on too long. <laughs> no, no, that is super helpful. I've actually really been trying to dig into this because I've heard a lot of, you know, there's a lot of speculation around, you know, it's, uh, the White House is releasing some cybersecurity, this and that, but no one's been able to give me um, any type of answer about it. They're just like, who knows, wait and see. So I do, I really appreciate your insight and all the insight that you've given over the course of this interview. Yeah, I really wanted to thank you for taking the time. Thank you for the opportunity, Hannah. It was a pleasure talking to you, and thanks for all the uh, interesting and provocative questions. Oh, I appreciate that. MedTech Connect is a podcast by Sightline. If you'd like to learn more about this topic, check out MedTech Insight. There you can find any articles we mentioned in this episode and more articles on the subject. This podcast and others by Sightline are available on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and TuneIn, so make sure to follow to get the latest updates on when new episodes are published. Thanks for listening, and be on the lookout for more MedTech Connect episodes every month. <laughs>